0: Welcome everybody. I should say probably good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, depending where you are in the world. Uh, I'm Ron Chennai. I'm co-editor-in-chief of the Qualitative Report. And I'm joined here by my co-editors-in-chief, uh, uh, Sally St. George and Dan Wolfe. Uh, we'll introduce the panel in just a couple minutes. So as you know, the theme for uh, this year's conference is living in a post-COVID world. And I'm such a believer in the uh, theme I tested positive for COVID last night. So uh, here's the post-COVID world. We're using technology and we're continuing to function and to uh, participate. And uh, so I tried to make it as experiential as I could. So we'll see how it goes. Sorry for my voice a little rough today. So I have a few announcements for you. And uh, so uh, as we were kidding about time zones and things like that, uh, please check your presenting time. It's all on Eastern Eastern. or, uh, standard time or we like to call it the daylight wasting time <laughs> and uh and how much longer that'll last in the states that's a big deal over here about that one hour and so the schedule's out and Adam's been updating it uh, thanks Adam for all that you do to to manage us cats because we were certainly a rough bunch to uh to uh to manage so thank you. you do a wonderful job every year and so as you look at the at a glance schedule you can see that uh, we have different uh, a, B, C, and D, uh, 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 groupings of presentations in multiple Zoom rooms, and all you have to do is click on the Zoom link at the top uh, of each box, and we'll take you in, and we try to keep, the moderators try to keep uh, the presentations uh, in sync, so that you can jump from one room to the other, and to join on in, so each room has a, a moderator, and as you say, we have a lot of great presentations uh, going on today, as well as tomorrow. So if you look at the schedule at a glance, we have uh, now four special events because we had uh, in vivo power lunch uh, yesterday. And today it's max QDA uh, at lunchtime. And on Saturday we have Quercos. We also have the uh, NSU Qualitative Research Graduate Certificate informational on Saturday afternoon. And then right after that is the TQR editorial board meeting, informational meeting. And everyone's welcome to uh, come to that, kind of give you an update of uh, the qualitative report So if uh, there is any type of internet uh, interruption, uh, we'll have the conference back online as quickly as possible. If the event one room is down because the moderators have to go in there to let people into the room, uh, just jump to another room and we'll get the rooms up as uh, quickly as possible. We used to have a vice president of technology said it would be successful just like if you're in the real world to go get the person that has the key and go and unlock the room. That's how quickly you want to try to get a Zoom room uh, back up. So a moderator in every breakout room and as i say to assist you with the technology uh, that you're using uh, for that um, if you go to the uh, the tqr.nova.edu page you'll see that there's a little uh, note from the qualitative methods and psychology bulletin uh, they are associated associated publication associated with qualitative methods and psychology section of the british psychological society and uh well, there, Adam, you're on the ball today. Uh, down there in the chat is the, uh, the link to that. And uh, if you want to be a beat reporter and write about your experiences, a little bit of autoethnographic uh, interlude in the conference, you're certainly welcome to do that. And uh, Adam, why don't you do a couple of announcements about uh, what happens to these little uh, plenaries that we're doing and also what you've been asking people about uh, sending you their uh, presentations. Sure. Uh,
1: So you may have received an email from me yesterday uh, to the presenters who are interested in sharing their presentation. Um, You can send me a PDF of that presentation to tqr at nova.edu. And we're in the process of adding them to the website. I just posted a link now where you can see um, a few that we've uploaded already. In addition to that, we're trying to build our YouTube channel. So some of the uh keynotes and panels and workshops that we're doing we're recording as well and we're adding to our our youtube channel so if you haven't checked that out i'm posting a link as we speak and then the last spam that i have for you guys is our podcast channel Uh, i'm going to post a link to the spotify version of that but you can check out uh we're using some of the content from this conference but we've also done some interviews in the past and you can access that via the link that i just posted so again thank you all uh, presenters, if you are interested in sharing uh, your presentation, just please send me a PDF version of that to tqr.nova.edu. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Adam. And so er- everything we do, we see it as uh, multi-directional. And so we've had a uh, request uh, to talk to authors of new books. Uh, Dan, Dan did a wonderful uh, interview with a, a book uh, just about a month or so ago. Uh, we are interested in sharing what you have to offer you know that's our tagline here's where the world comes to learn qualitative research and so if we can help you with that uh adam uh, is continually telling me things i never heard of hey we could put it here we could put it there so uh, mm-hmm. you know we always say create once publish everywhere so that's what uh <laughs> we try to do so that's really an invitation so um so uh sally and dan why don't you introduce yourselves and then we'll kind of get into the uh into the panel
2: Hi, everybody. I'm Sally St. George, um, Professor Emerita from the University of Cal- Calgary, and liking being in that position. It gives me, I think, more time and creativity to devo- devote to TQR.
3: And I'm Dan Wolf. Uh, we're married to each other, as you might have surmised from this, uh, this screen, the shared, shared, screen yeah. shared screen. I'm also <laughs> retired and enjoying every minute of it, so I highly recommend it to all of you when the time is right.
0: Yeah, well thank you. Yeah that the it's amazing when you don't have to go to meetings you don't want to go to how much it frees up time in your life. So absolutely. So let's kind of get into it. Uh, all of our, our we're gonna go a couple of boops around. Uh, we uh start with Julia and, and we're gonna introduce themselves and talk a little bit about their company, their their products, and what was kind of going on 2019, 2020, and then we'll go to Stacy and Dan. And then we'll kind of move into sort of how things are evolving in in this post COVID world and beyond. So, Julia.
4: All right, thank you. Yeah, hi everyone. My name is uh, Julia Gerson. I am here today as the product manager of MaxQDA. Most of you probably know, but MaxQDA is one of the um, bigger QDA software tools in the world today. It was introduced in 1989. It's for qualitative and mixed methods research. It also has a statistical module for statistic analysis. We're based in Berlin, Germany, which is where I am joining you uh, today. And um, for just my experience with QDA before COVID, before joining MaxQDA, I was a researcher at the University of Marburg for educational research, and I did a few projects there myself using MaxQDA for the data analysis before jumping ship, leaving academia behind and going to MaxUDA, where for um, quite a number of years, my responsibility was to create teaching material, webinars, tutorials, the manual. Um, And for four years now, I am leading the product management team. So my job is to listen to the community, um, gather all the feedback from all different direction and um, try to make sure that we rebuild new tools in make today, that they're as valuable as they can be. So this was the situation before COVID um, hit us. And then as COVID started, at first we, of course, we just um, faced the same difficulties as every other company. We had to move everybody out of their offices. We had to set up the server system, make sure that everybody, everything was still delivered on time. All the updates were running, the support was going well have the phones reach actual people and keep everybody healthy, of course. But after that, uh, the very first reaction was to make sure that the community had all the tools they had. So right away we offered a longer trial period to just help those students and uh, teachers that were suddenly faced with not being able to be in the classrooms anymore, not being able to use the um, the computers in their libraries anymore so they could just um, you know bridge that gap in time and just continue working we've also we um have a our own publishing house that we um released during that time where we have a lot of free guides that people can use when you're like suddenly needing teaching material there's a lot of guides that people could then just use freely and um, we doubled down on our virtual teaching we've already we've um always offered webinars, so this wasn't something new for us, but we, I think we had double or twice the number of webinars, and we saw a really, really high interest in the webinars, but also in the video tutorials. So it just became clear that people who are teaching QDA software, they were just trying to get us to help them, like, what can we do really short-term to get our students running? And... um, of course during COVID, we also noticed that the feedback from the users changed quite a bit i'm sure the others will also say something similar digital interviews became really important transcripts became really important connecting everything analyzing audio and video and of course um not being in the same room uh, was a new um issue that a lot of teams had to face that they could no longer copy their data on a USB stick and give it to somebody else they now had to find other ways to share data and to work together and during this time during COVID we actually developed our team cloud which is a virtual um a cloud space where people can just work together collaboratively as a team and not have to be in the same room but still experience the same um advantages of being really close with each other. And um, yeah, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, so far from me, I don't know who I'm gonna hand it over for the oh, first time.
5: Great. Uh, thanks, thanks, Julia and Ron and Adam. Thanks for inviting me to be a panelist. Um, uh, so I'm Stacey Penna. I'm um, the Customer Engagement Enablement Director at now LumaVero. We were QSR International, um, and that happened officially in January. So we now have um, five softwares and vivo being one of them and Satavi. Um, and then we have uh Sonia for student placement and um we actually have some t- statistical software now excel stat and at risk um <clears throat> so it, during this time the company definitely grew <laughs> adding uh adding more uh, softwares and companies under one um and my background is I actually used in vivo that's how I got started um with the company, first QSR, uh, for my doctoral uh, work at UMass Lowell. Um, and and then uh, right after I graduated, I started working with QSR. We were just building um, our presence in North America. I think there was three of us at that time. So we've grown a lot in, in North America anyway. And I, I know a lot of people know uh, QSR started in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and... With um, and one of the big things that we started, and I think it was very fortunate we started the in vivo community, and, and that was my position in vivo community director, uh, in January 2020. And um, that ended up being um, a lucky decision of the company because the community really helped people throughout um, COVID. Um, so like Julia mentioned, we transitioned, we already had done a lot of virtual, um, events and, um, not events, but webinars, um, and, and and demos of the software. Uh, but with COVID coming, there was such a high demand for people to figure out how am I going to switch from doing in-person collection to having to switch to virtual collection and just figuring and how we work as a team and all that, um, as researchers, um, so we had a series of webinars on, you know, how to collect data, how to um, find resources that you need online and um, and got uh, some presenters. And, and like uh, Julia mentioned, the, the response was overwhelming. Um, you know, we we didn't expect it. We just were like, we want to help people and and people came and, and, and got a lot out of it. Um, and then during that time, I, I also started a, a podcast and I see a few people here that I've interviewed, Eileen, <laughs> <and laughs> a few others for webinars and podcasts. Um, and again, another great way to help people, um, you know, learn from each other. But again, you don't have to be close together for that. Um, and then we started virtual user group meetings um and so I have uh, worked with our trainers and um, that was another great response because it was a way for people to learn the software better but then also connect with each other in, in a safe way uh, during that time um and um, also our at the time our director of research Dr Silvana de who some of you I'm sure sure know um, she did research on um, the impact of COVID. uh, And she's continuing to do that over the last couple of years. And so I can share some of that information with you. But she, well, because of all the webinars we did, she sent out a survey to people who attended, um, and then she followed up with interviews. And then a year later, she followed up with another survey. And now she's also doing more work around that, um, again, with surveys and interviews. Um, And and like, I, I think what I'm seeing um, and what the company's seeing is, you know, virtual is not going to go away. People, you know, now are comfortable with it. It's um, something people um, can, can er, even participants, right, not everyone, but people are now used to understanding how to do a Zoom meeting um, and how to to connect like that. And so one of the things we are also doing at Lumavero is we've um um, partnered with a company called iTracks out of uh, Alberta, Canada, and uh, their company collects, helps you collect securely online data. So focus groups, interviews, discussion boards, um, and we just had a webinar with them this week. And it's, it's great, really interesting software, but it's um, it has um, more security than like, you know, zoom when you're doing your research. Um, so I think the company sees that this is the, you know, it, uh, it, it's part of the future, and so they're embracing that. And 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 like Joy said, we're all all working from home still. I think our our company actually says we're work work from anywhere company now, which means we can um, have colleagues all over the world, which is really exciting because uh, then you get more um, input and uh, new ideas too from that. So so happy to share more about the research um, Silvana collected too during this. But that's that's me. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you, Stacey. The uh, slogan people use here is. Uh, Live in the sun, work in the clouds. So that's the uh, <laughs> I like that. That's the model here to get people to come to we have enough people now. You don't all have to come to Florida. So but thank you so much. Uh Dan, so what's going on uh in your neck of the woods?
6: Yeah, so I mean it's it's a great motto to have. It may be less applicable if you work in Scotland like we do. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, we, we suddenly were doing a lot of work in the cloud. I think there's there's two kind of sides of it. There's there's kind of um um the employees and the kind of company impact and then what happened to the community as well um and i think it's yeah it's probably a pretty similar story i mean we we're already mostly doing remote working um and then suddenly you know with lockdown i wasn't able to access the office and so on um but we already had systems to kind of um you know uh phone calls and stuff like that so it wasn't a kind of huge impact there i think the the slight. The slightly crazy thing was um so we launched Quercos Cloud two months before. So that was kind of our online collaborative platform. Um and we were like, okay, great, you know, we'll we'll have a nice gentle introduction to this. And then yeah, two months later the lockdown hit, and then everybody wanted to be using that platform. So I think, you know, as Julie was saying as well, there are a lot of people who couldn't get access to labs or their um desktop computers so we were dealing with dozens of emails handing out free licenses um for people so they could use other computers at home um, we gave everyone like a six-month free trial of the quercos cloud so they could work anywhere and they could use the collaboration because yeah i mean as, as julie was saying like previously teams were used to just working together in the same office um, and suddenly they needed a way to remotely collaborate um so we had our, our user base um from everything like triple within about three months. It was an absolutely crazy time. That <laughs> when I look look back on it, it's just yeah, <laughs> it was it was it was pretty nuts. Um it took us a long time to kind of catch up with all that really. We hired new staff to deal with with the backlog of um <laughs> just like invoices and stuff like that. Um but but I think somebody at the time said, um, and this kind of chimes with what, what what Stacey and Julia was saying, I think um, somebody said that COVID didn't create anything kind of new, it just accelerated things that were happening already, I think, and so a lot of the stuff like, yeah, more people wanted to work from home, uh, and more people did want to meet virtually, and more people were thinking about data collection virtually. Um, yeah we we suddenly had to deal with a lot of yeah requests from um phd students who'd been planning to do data collection online i was actually mentor for someone who was supposed to be going to zimbabwe to do their data collection in person and suddenly couldn't do that and so helping them kind of yeah pivot their methodology towards being able to do virtual interviews um yeah it was it was a it was a crazy time uh and uh yeah i think if you had kids at that time as well um it, it was additionally crazy um but but I mean um just in the meeting before I mean Ron was saying um how at the Tqr journal the number of um submissions had increased over that period of time and not gone down and that's kind of what we found at quirkos as well like the interest in the virtual platform quirkos Cloud because you can do that live collaboration like yeah tripled but then didn't go back down like the demand is continue to increase so i think a lot of people have found hopefully um more ways that they can work more accessible ways that they can work um yeah and it's helping the community um kind of make the most of that and um yeah support them in in all the different ways they want to work and, and collaborate
0: one of my favorite quotes of this about the future is from william gibson he says the the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Yeah, so It's kind of like yeah. what you're saying is is that kind of in that positioning. And so I think what is to me and my observations of, of the three of you all, it's kind of like here being in South Florida, we were always prepared for different kinds of emergency, normally hurricanes going off campus, on campus and having everything backed up. So for, for us, it was uh, it was just another risk management thing we had to do. And, but I think the values of your companies are also important. And, and obviously, community is one of them. And uh, also, the idea of being innovative and creative. And I think that's something I, I see was a, a theme across there. One of the challenges we're seeing here at the university, maybe some of you are seeing this elsewhere, because of the flexibility with the technology and because people can work where they want, um, are you seeing challenges with uh, keeping your workforce and keeping folks in place because, uh, or do you have to spend a lot more money to keep the people? What what, are y'all seeing in in terms of that and your respective companies? Well, maybe I'll I'll start
2: from
4: X today. We're actually, there's more opportunity to add people to the workforce that are not located in the same town. So it's more of a positive um, impact. We actually didn't see many people leave (laughs) or go go somewhere else. So for us, I'd say this is more of a positive side effect that COVID has brought.
5: Yeah, I I would agree with uh, Julia. Um, Like I said, it's work from anywhere. was changed at first. I think they're trying to figure out we had offices and Boston, uk australia and trying to figure out should we have people come back at first they were like you know when it was a little bit safer people had the vaccine they asked us to come in like one day a week uh, which actually was fun it was nice seeing people because we hadn't seen people in person uh but then um that that sort of went away and and they they were hiring people across the United States, across Europe, across um, you know, Asia. I, you know, it's 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 a different world. Um, and so that's when they decided where I think our corporate headquarters officially is going to be in Denver, Colorado now, but it's everyone's everywhere. (laughs) So and and that's a challenge because how do you keep a um a company's culture going where you know because I think one of the things that with all our software is everyone has a lot of passion of creating software that's going to help researchers do your work and to keep that passion going as a company, you, ha- you do, I think have to get together, you know, face to face once in a while. And so now I think they're trying to do, um, like quarterly, um, meetups, even if it's in a region, right. So maybe not the whole company, but at all, you know, all the time, maybe that'll be once a year, but, and I think that's a really good idea because I think you get that different energy when you're together, um. Um, in person, so so I'm glad the company is going that way. But yeah, I think it's honestly been a lot of a, a positive for us too.
6: Yeah, I think us too. I mean, it when we've hired, it's just changed. I mean, we had international hires before, but now, yeah, we'll consider anyone from anywhere. Um, yeah, and we have always kind of like very flexible work culture, and everyone does four day weeks, um, but you can work kind of any hours within that. And so that was kind of appealing to a lot more people. It made recruitment a lot more time consuming <laughs> because we'd have so many more applicants because people, you know, if you happen to work remote work, you can apply from all over the world. I think that's given us a better pool of candidates. Um, yeah, Stacey, what you said about, yeah, just just managing to kind of keep the the company culture together and just just social elements of it has been like a bit of a challenge we had like a really epic virtual Christmas party this year um, (laughs) with lots of kind of games and challenges and stuff that was a lot of fun Um, but it's yeah it's some something something I miss yeah for sure
0: you you've all really spoken to the uh, culture your your company's culture and uh, you know in the states with you know equity diversity inclusion I know it's not just here but kind of can become something overly politicized. But the one word that seems to be that people don't seem to have an issue with is a a sense of belonging. And it seems that that's something that you all are trying to uh, maintain in your culture that regardless of where someone is in the world, uh, that they feel a sense of, of belonging in your respective organizations.
5: Yeah. Um. Did Julie, you want to you want to go first? <laughs> we'll just yeah. keep going around. <laughs>
4: yeah, I just and I want to expand like the belonging to also the community. We have not just the people working in the office, but um, we have like the one of the guidelines of Maxiday is that we're rooted in research, so we try to just stay really, really connected with the research community and um, have just academic. Um, specialists from different areas come into the office once in a while and we have a yearly conference that has been going on for over 20 years called the MQIC that was suddenly not possible. It was an in-person conference in Berlin. And so we created an online conference instead really quickly. And it was like the the first time we did it. It was quite an adventure, but it was so successful and it was so much joy to see all of the countries that people were able to join from that we have now decided that we're going to keep this. Even when we go back to the live conferences, we also want to have the virtual conferences. Because when you come together in like a conference like this and you share your research, it just creates a sense of community. You're not on your own like there's other people facing the same type of issues, uh, COVID or not COVID. And it also makes it so much more accessible that people who are not don't have the funds or just, just the ability to travel, they can also access all of these. Um, all of the knowledge and all of the networking opportunity. So yeah, belonging is really, it's an important thing, but not just for the company, also for the whole community, I'd say. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, no, that's that was really well-spoken. I agree, and that we, so we, did a, a virtual conference for the first time in 2020 um and I agree it was uh, very well received a lot of positive. Um, we're, we're actually going to do another one as a LumaVero conference and again in September um and uh, but the community so what what I' what I'm finding is because we've created this community around our software in vivo sotavi and now trying with the other ones is that um the company really said we want, to, um, have a best practices and have researchers be able to share what they're doing right with each other and with the overall community. And so, and that's what I've tried to do with my team is, is have that kind of feel to it. So, um, you know, I, I do a podcast. It's okay. If you don't mention our software, (laughs) you do a webinar, it's okay. You're talking about your research, um, and then you know, and, and if some people want to that, that's fine, but that's not the main goal of it. Um, and I really appreciated that from the company because that, that I think that brings a sense of belonging outside. And what I'm seeing is because of I've had this experience working with our customers doing this, creating this um, community and interactions. Um, We just had actually we just had a meeting um, yesterday inside the company. It's uh, with HR and it's actually called the Culture Club, you know, because we're trying to bring, you know, multiple companies together. So that's a whole nother uh, challenge. And I I actually said, I said, I think um, we have to get in front of each other more, you know, um, and I think we should do sort of what we've been doing with the customer community and bring it inside to our company and have um, smaller um, meetings, you know, because like we have people from another company, they don't know, they need to learn in vivo. So let's have, um, you know, presentations and talks uh, in that way. So people can get to know each other, but also learn why people are passionate about um our our software and the work they do um and so I think that's um I think that's always a I mean that's more of a challenge being virtual you know because like you're you're just don't have those interactions like you can't go to somebody's office and chit chat with them like, like you did before to build those relationships so I think it's on all of us not just with customers um, but also with, uh, our internal, um, uh, employees and, and colleagues to make more of those, uh, situations where people can feel like they're belonging in the company.
6: Yeah, it's, it's so, so sorry. So I didn't say so. So I'm the director of Quirkus. So a lot of this stuff has kind of fallen on my head and um, my background is in qualitative research, <laughs> I was like a postdoc qualitative researcher for quite a long time. I don't really have like a management corporate background at all it's something i've had to learn very quickly but i think um yeah it's something i don't really see it as a sense of belonging but but like i want everyone to feel that they're like a part of it like that and they're able to i think it's my job to make sure they're able to contribute like as much as they they can like they can give their best best self um, in, their, in their working hours. And that's been a challenge because we now have like two members of staff that I've never met in person. And like, we've never had a face-to-face meeting with. Um, they've never been to the office. And it's, it used to be the office kind of like felt like a bit of the heart of it, but like increasingly I guess it's, yeah, that's become less important. So it's kind of, the question is like, what does it mean to belong to Quirkos? And then, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, Julie and Stacey both talked about kind of like values and beliefs and um, like, I think for us, like it's also about accessibility. Like, um, yeah, Julie mentioned about accessibility for virtual conferences being really good. Um, and I think accessibility has always been the kind of core um, mantra at Quirkos, like, the software should be easy to learn, it should be cheap, um, you shouldn't have to pay for training and so on. But it's also about um, the most number of people being able to kind of use it and, and yeah, and conti- con- contribute to it as well. And I think it's also kind of about accessibility, kind of like helps the staff as well. Um, and trying to change the culture, culture around the staff. So that they're able to to contribute that best thing like if they have a particular way of working they have particular um backgrounds and needs and interests to kind of yeah use that to to drive the company forward let people don't be afraid to let the employees kind of change the company and change the direction um so they're contributing their best yeah that, that everything they can i guess yeah
0: well, let's talk about that word change so what do you see going forward uh it will be changing uh, and we haven't all discovered uh signed a non-disclosure agreement so certainly whatever you've got in the works and things like that but uh so you know it, it's uh to say the same be different new stop so where do you think where do you see things going now is we're kind of in this kind of transition and obviously there's developments that are not really necessarily uh, covid related um, the thing that's uh, i think every other day or every other minute i see something about the chatbots are coming the chatbots are coming and artificial intelligence and you know are, are we a profession that's going to be replaced by artificial intelligence soon or uh so wh- where 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 is qualitative data analysis going or the whole kind of uh data uh, you know enhanced process of this uh, we're, let's come kind of reverse the order. We'll always start with Dan and go. Stacy, Joe we'll go reverse order. So, Dan, where 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 is Quirkos going? Okay. Okay.
6: I can. Yeah, I can tell you plenty about where Quirkos is going, and, and then yeah, I have a big rant about this this AI type stuff. So I'll try try and keep that short and relatively civil. Um, yeah. So I think again, so Quirkos is going, as I said, like it, it didn't seem that there was anything particularly new that came out of COVID, but it accelerated a lot of things that was already happening. So we already wanted to have like a cloud platform because people wanted to do live collaboration. Um, yeah, so so that is <laughs> is much faster than we anticipated is like compared to the offline license is now like the primary tool that people use. Um, and we now have a web app, which basically does everything the desktop does. And again, that was on planning for a long time. But again, suddenly you don't have an IT department that will let you install software in your computer. Um, And so these kind of things suddenly, well, sorry, you still have an IT department, but they might not have access to your computer anymore. And so the need for these things kind of accelerated. Um, Yeah, the the growth of digital um, uh, data collection and the need for transcripts. So one of the things that we're doing in the next couple of months in April is releasing an automated transcription service, um, which is a bit different because it's end-to-end encrypted, and we think it's the first that does this. So nobody, not even us, has access to the data. It's not shared with any third parties. So it takes a different approach to kind of confidentiality and data security. But this is one of those things. It's based around a machine learning model. Um, And so a lot of these questions about the ethics and... um, Accuracy and the biases of these models, um, you know, comes into play in a very practical, practical way for us. Um, so it's it's something that that we kind of want researchers to be aware of. Um I think so. There are opportunities from that. As far as I can see, like right, we we've spent like three years evaluating different um machine learning models for. Uh, speech to text. And this is the one which is the most inclusive and the most accessible because it's the best with different accents and languages and stuff. and that's really important. But we've also spent a long time looking at things like automated coding and um yeah, AI is for generating text and understanding text. Um, and I've still not seen anything and Chat GPT is a prime example of this. Anything that actually understands what it's talking about, um it can it can, give you very convincing nonsense, because it's very good at formulating a grammatical sentence, but there's there's no necessity that it is actually accurate in what it's saying. Uh, And that's not the aim of these models. That's not really what they were trained for. And when it comes to qualitative analysis, we spent a lot of time looking at kind of automated coding. And yeah, we've seen systems, we've evaluated systems where you can throw your data at it and it would do fine, basic sentiment analysis or very basic topics. These people are talking about buses. These people are talking about trains. Okay, fine. But it doesn't understand what people are talking about. And it doesn't understand the lived experience. And I think we're a very, very, very long way away from, um, you can quote me on this, a very long way from these machine learning tools, being able to understand the human experience. And in the kind of research that we're doing, which is which our users in doing very small in-depth qualitative projects, usually around issues around inequalities and accessibility and the wicked problems in society. And these very, these tools can't understand that. They can do the very basic, you know, first pass coding. They're not going to do themes (laughs) that they don't seem to be able to understand and create hypotheses. And for me, that's such an important part of the qualitative analysis process. So... I don't see very much threat to qualitative researchers there, but I hope there are opportunities to, yeah, make some things quicker and more efficient maybe in the future. So we'll see.
5: Yeah. Thanks, Dan. That, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I I think from, um, Lumavero with change is the company, um, is, has a, um, is really trying to uh, work with research data and research across, their we're calling it a data landscape. So going from, you know, throughout the research process, how can we help researchers um, with that? Um, and so that's what you're seeing when we're, we're acquiring new companies, it's that's where the focus is, is around that research process. Um, and it became quite clear um, even before um, a COVID happened that people work collaboratively, um, and they work with people from all over the place. So it's, uh, you know, you're not just working with your colleagues at your organization. You're working with people in different countries and different organizations, and um, and people are using, you know, used to using like. Um, you know, Google Docs. They're used to being able to share very easily with people. And so that's where, you know, I think our software, you know, we need to do that. And that's why, you know, View 14 is coming out very uh, soon and it does have real-time collaboration but with all the uh, strength of what you can do with in vivo with queries and stuff. Um, so it doesn't take anything away from that in-depth uh, analysis, um, but it will make it, and, and I've used the beta um, and it, it it does do it uh, quite well. And so excited for that that to come out relatively soon. Um, but even before COVID with the last version we had, we had in vivo transcription and that's a web-based app. Um, we purchased, um, acquired Citavi, which for reference management, and that always that always had a cloud-based project, so you could, you know, anywhere, uh, any team member you could work on on your lit review together, um, and, and so on. So that's where I see the biggest change is that there's a need for that, but then on the same thing, you have to be careful with um, ethics and privacy and security, and um, and I and that comes up. Obviously, all the time with people because because we work and all of you do with different sectors. So it's the academic sector, but it's the government sector, the commercial sector, nonprofit, and all of them have different requirements. A lot of times for privacy and security, and so it's trying trying to meet those demands um, that still allows people to do to do their research. Um, and then I was thinking with, with the AI, so, you know, we do have a, a AI, we have auto coding and and some different things like that with themes and sentiments, but, um, you know, I I like I talk about it. and I might show it, but I always say this is a way to look at your data across everything. But it's not, it, you know, you're still going after your coding. Like and to Dan's point, it's it's like a broad brush, right? It's the <laughs> first wave of coding. It might help you with, but to get to the deep analysis and do more of the axle code, you know, the real deep coding, you're you're, you're going to do that, right? That you you know, the software is not going to do that for you. Um, But, uh, and I, I remember I was a sixth grade social studies teacher a long time ago and we had channel one came in to our school and that was hyped as, we're not going to need teachers anymore. We're going, you know, just have uh, th- these people on TV <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, whatever at the time. That was a long time ago. Um, and and do that. And, you know, that, that company didn't last. Like there, I, I just don't see how um, AI is going to replace that, you know, what qualitative researchers do, which gets to the why and, you know, the real heart of things. Um, it's going to be very hard, I think, for a long, long, long time for AI to, to do that. So I, just from that one experience, I had, you know, teachers are still here and they're still needed. <laughs> uh, so, so that that's my two cents.
4: Yeah, I think I can connect to that quite well. Um, I mean, I, I listened to a podcast um, that was from Christina Silver. She has a podcast named Cactus Chat, and she interviewed Odo Cookarts. Professor Odo Kukats, who is the founder of MaxLDA, about the future of QDA software. And he made a point that I think is very relevant that QDA software is it's not somewhere out in the open. It's used for qualitative research and qualitative research is trying to make sense of the world. And so we have to follow the technological trends of the world. Mm-hmm. And um, but also for the, I mean, for the Commercial researchers who are just trying to get quick results, get a sentiment analysis, compare sentiments across two large data sets. Like, I think they will use AI more broadly than the, uh, the, the main qualitative researchers who have to um, adhere to the quality standards of their research. So, we're kind of like, even if we could technologically build it into Mexico A, what if researchers can't use it because then their papers aren't accepted because it's not them that came to a categorization or an interpretation so we're just we have to follow the um the research community and what will they make of um chat gpt like i've seen the first papers pop up and of course watching all of them closely but i think there's going to be some research like where can it be used and where can it where shouldn't it be used and i think just also like human interaction is so complex All of the contextual, the cultural, the historical information that humans are able to decipher. So when two people talk to each other, one person might not speak the words that they mean. And then the second person is not listening, is not hearing what the other person said. (laughs) So There's so much going on in human brains. It's going to be such a long time until the computer can really replace that, if ever. And then just when we um, created the sentiment analysis, we looked at all of the words and all of the rules, like when is a word positive, when is it negative? And there are so many words, uh, like the word cancer, which in a medical context is probably a really bad word. But when you're talking about astrology, it's not a bad word. And in the German language, it can also mean just a crab, which is a nice, funny animal. So <laughs> there's so much context information that you have to teach the computers. The human brain is so uh, complex. Um, I think it will, of course, help a lot of people just make try to make quick sense, find some topics, find some themes, get a rough score, and also just compare those rough results. But then you have to go in if you, like the real true qualitative researcher will want to go in and touch the data themselves and think about them for a while.
0: Yeah, it, uh, in, in therapy, we always say the client uh, answers the questions, sort of. <laughs> there's that, and that, you know that that quality that kind of to kind of going back and, and forth with that and you know from a tqr perspective we you know we're we're seeing in terms of who's who's writing the papers uh maybe if, if the software can help people improve their writing uh that might be a good thing uh there's discussions now whether uh the software would be listed as a co-author on these papers. So things we may have never considered before uh, may be uh, quite common. So uh, Sally and Dan, what are are your thoughts so far what we've been chatting about?
3: Um, I had a question. Uh, All three of you have been very personable and put a really human face on your companies. It's just been fantastic listening to you. And you all talk about being international in focus. Um, So my question is, for those parts of the world that are not so well resourced, you know the universities that don't have money, uh, practitioners out in the communities who don't have money, who maybe do community-based work in Africa or whatever. Do you, what? What is your company's um, uh, uh, reaction to these sorts of places? Do you you have accommodations for people who can't uh, pay the freight for for the software? I know your guys are companies and you're you're trying to make a profit, so. How do you balance that with trying to make it accessible to people who who maybe can't afford it?
5: I, I can I can take that. Um, I, I'm sure we all can. But uh, yes, the um that's that's very important to us. So you know, we just had a discussion yesterday um about um uh, uh, countries and uh, customers in Africa. So um you know I I do a, a ton of webinars and they're open to everyone and and we get um. I would say thirty percent of the people that attend and register are from um, you know, countries in Africa, in um Pakistan, Turkey, places that, yes, the the pricing we have is not affordable for them. And so we were just having a discussion about, no, yes, we need to uh, take that into consideration. And, you know, we would we have different pricing because we have different we have partners around the world too that. Are uh, basically resellers, but they they not just resell; they also train people and you know do events too. And so um, we will have different pricing for different parts of the world. Um, and one of the great things about the I saw I've seen with the community, and I think I, I know Janet Solomon's seen seen this with uh, Sage Method Space too that with her community work is that we're getting tons of people coming in from um, countries that don't always have the resources and and all our events are free, right? So they're hearing from some of the top or, you know, leading uh, researchers in the field that they're doing in their country, you know, whether it's grounded theory or thematic analysis, and they have that opportunity to uh, learn from those experts where they probably wouldn't, you know, otherwise. And we just get great. I mean, that's one of the best parts of my job is I get this great feedback from people saying, thank you. Thank you for this webinar. This helped me so much. Or, um, you know, I I, I, there's no way I could have uh, gone to something like this on my own and I and I think that's just a, such a, a so gratifying and and so nice so we I, I think the goal is to do more of that and to accommodate different parts of the world that yeah, they do have those challenges yeah
3: I'll go next um yeah it's um
4: the market is d- differently sized so it's it's possible to go in. Countries that don't have much resources, more on a more personal basis, and talk with different projects directly. And then we've supported research projects or research institutions with special licenses, with trainers. Um, Our CEO has actually flown, forgot the country, and just taught somewhere really in the rural bush of Africa, taught um, taught a class. And um, we have um, a research for change a grant to help um, students who don't have the money to get licenses so they can hand in their papers they can win a prize and of course we always support more students than the ones that win the prize um but since some communities are just harder to reach we are also trying to just um strengthen the trainer network so we have a lot of trainers and also we work with resellers in different countries because of course based in berlin germany like we we don't know how the structure of university and their purchasing strategies are in all kinds of countries, not just Africa, but also Japan and China. Like it's it's so different everywhere that we're just trying to build local networks everywhere. But other than that, it's more of um we also have pricings that are already um different for different types. And of course, we have really cheap student licenses that we are more um. German word is Kuland, like we're more open, depending on the location of the person who's asking, of course, to support them.
0: I don't know if we lost Dan. Oh, there I he is, there me, a, moved time. around.
6: I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, the this is a big thing about our kind of accessibility initiative. Um, and for a long time, we've had a 25% discount for, everyone from I have not found a term that I like but um, yeah developing economies Um, and we always take that further we don't have a network of resellers um, because that actually kind of imposes different costs on these communities Um, so we still sell directly to these to different institutions across the world Um, but yeah we always negotiate based based on where they, where they are. I mean, Quircast is usually about half the price of a lot of the other options anyway. Um, so we've seen so much interest. Yeah, like in East, East Asia and Africa and um, all all these different places. But it, it's one of the reasons that we keep thinking about things like um, like keeping the offline version because although, yeah, it's great if you have a very reliable internet connection to be using a cloud service. But from an accessibility point of view, we need to keep the offline version for communities that don't have that luxury and and where that's an additional cost. Um, And also making sure another key important about accessibility is you can't have like a 1,000-pound laptop. That can't be like the minimum spec for your software. Like You need to be able to have it run on Chromebooks and very cheap devices. that's always been a focus of our development too because in terms of costs there's there's a cost in terms of the accessibility of the different devices as well um yeah we have developed a network of global trainers and i think that's really important because they they teach different things for different educational contexts i mean universities are different like across the world like have different um kind of grading and exam kind of standards. And so making sure that people can deliver the training in ways that yeah, <laughs> could be understood in, in different cultures is is great. And I think the more kind of different voices we have explaining and using Quercos in different ways, um, the better. And we see a lot of uptake on the the global discount. Um, and we try and make it very easy to get. So um, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's all part of accessibility, I think, for us.
2: Ron, I just have um, not a question because and we don't have very much time, but I do have kind of an observation and a, an appreciation that I'd like to offer. And while I have to say that this conversation um, would give me the heebie-jeebies because I have not used any of this. I've always depended on my students to kind of instruct me as they learn. Um And but I appreciated the big, bigger picture look and the and the large teams and the global um, uh, locations of things and bringing people together on the that large scale. I think what I appreciated most, and I think maybe many of us who are teachers would have appreciated this most, is that um, we work with a lot of dissertation students, and dissertations are still at the, for the most part at universities an individual endeavor, and My students have always gone to the software with with the belief and the hope that it would make their analysis so much easier. And honestly, when they would bring me their results or what they learned by using the analytical software, they had to spend a whole lot of time explaining it to me. So I appreciated the comment about it can only take you so far and you're going to have to do the rest of the legwork because it's a human enterprise and it's an interactional human enterprise. So I just wanted to say thanks. I appreciate the big picture. I also appreciate that down and dirty, uh, really um, sensible sense of you have to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's one of our, our uh commonly used comment to papers. We say it's called qualitative data analysis because you have to introduce the quality, the data, and the analysis. And so sometimes we'll get a heading and that quality is never defined. We may never get to see excerpts. And we definitely don't see you explaining how you suggest that that data are evidencing the qualities you suggest that's doing. And that's the artistry, and I so appreciate how your software helps the organization and to help bring a lot of tools together, because you can do a lot of these things, uh, but a lot of it's making it simpler to manage all this data. And so sometimes with dissertations, they're just not producing as much data, that maybe they could kind of all do it another way. So that's something that we're looking for, is to see how that goes in the future, and because you know i know uh you know the notion of uh, piaget and abstract reasoning uh you got to get to the abstract reasoning to do this in terms of doing basic qualitative data analysis and i appreciate that you all continue to strive to how to help with it just just thinking about back in the days the only way the software that was on Macs, because that was you could hyperlink and now we see more of that to be able to connect and synthesize and so forth so I want to thank everybody today. We're kind of at our our, our stopping point with this, and just so much appreciate uh, your openness and your willing to share uh, with us all. And so, is, is uh there've been a lot of posting in the chats there about uh, resources that these three companies provide. So please take a look at that. Uh, Adam, why don't you tell how people can access this afterwards, including the uh, not only the, the the verbal and visual, but also the uh, the chat information.
1: Sure. So I'll go ahead and post links to all of the information they can access um, in the chat. But I also want to say thank you again to all three of the representatives here. Um, I, I went back and looked and we've had a relationship with all three of you for nine years now. And I think one example that Ron likes to bring up is, you know, we we do have advertising on our web pages, but we, you know, strategically choose folks that we think our audience would like. And so and um, choosing you three, uh, it's <laughs> a benefit to all of our community because not only you know do we feel like you're interesting to the folks that are coming to our website, but the resources that you all have provided that you've spoke about as well, the free webinars, the free blogs, uh, the podcasts, the workshops. And so I'll make sure to include some of that information on the website as well. Um, but yeah, just thank you again. I mean, this these last nine years have been great with you all, and hopefully we can continue um, with you guys moving forward.
0: Couldn't do it without you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Uh, the next uh, series of presentations start at uh, 10.15. Uh, look forward to popping into different rooms along the day. Uh, please make, remember, we have the uh, Max Guitier Power Lunch today and the uh, Quercos one on Saturday. So again, thank you all so much. Uh, uh, take care, stay well, and uh, I'll see you in Zoom.
6: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Feel
5: better, Ron.